0: Chris Miller, author of the book, Ready for pre tirement Three Secrets for Safe Money and a Fabulous Future, and host of the pre retirement Master Show. What do you think about when it comes to retirement? The truth is, it has nothing to do with being old and everything to do with being solvent and independent, and that starts right now. This is pre tirement Here's how I can help you. Together, we can plan your retirement early so your money, health, and peace of mind are there when you need them. I've assembled a panel of the top experts in the human potential movement to guide you with core strategies that will help you make daily, weekly, and monthly progress towards your perfect retirement. I Hi, everybody. I'm Chris Miller, author of the book Ready for Pre-Tirement: Three Secrets for Safe Money and a Fabulous Future, and host of the pre Masters Master Show. Today, my guest is Sharon Lechers, who she has been a pioneer in developing new technologies, programs, and products to bring education into children's lives in ways that are innovative, challenging, and fun and remains committed to education she's co-author of the best-selling book think and grow rich three feet from gold with napoleon hill foundation and rich dad and poor dad and 14 other books in the rich dad series sharon i'm really honored to have you with us here today well thank you chris i'm delighted to be with you it's wonderful to be able to share this information and show people what they can do to to be ready for pre tirement and, and get their children ready, too.
1: So, well, Very important, particularly given what's been happening in the economy the last few years.
0: Really. And it sure seems like everybody's going to have to recreate themselves, and when you turn 50, you just decide that you're going to have a second life and, and recreate yourself. But, you know, I've really noticed... A lot, and I'm I'm so happy that you do what you do, talking with with younger people too. because no one ever trains anybody how to what to do, how to be prepared. They teach you how to work, but they don't know teach you how to save or or what to do. So, what steps would you say that people that are 20 and 30 could take now for retirement? Well, I think it's
1: important to actually create a habit. You know, we all. Tend to, in the world we live in, instant gratification and instant messaging, we forget to start creating healthy habits. And um, the name of my company is Pay Your Family First, and it actually is derived from the original thought that Napoleon Hill created, which is Pay Yourself First. And many banks and financial planners and certainly um, financial gurus use the Pay Yourself First concept. And the issue is that, you know, we have to set aside just a small amount. And once you establish that habit, you know that you're thinking about yourself first. Before you buy that fancy car, before you buy a bigger house, think about your future. Making sure that you have a nest egg and that you're building it, even if it's a small amount. Just creating that habit um, will give you the ability to know that you're planning for your future. Many people, as you said, in their 50s today... Um, they thought they were well on their way to retirement. All of a sudden they woke up and their nest eggs were cut in half because of the economy or they, they've been downsized, right-sized, or outsized. So it's really important for all of us, whether you're 20 or 50, to know that we are all the CEOs of our own life, and it's up to us to pay attention to what's happening in our own wallets. And that's something that people have lost sight of. They keep looking to the government or to their employer To take care of them. And that's, you know, my mission is to get everybody to stand up and say, I am the CEO of my own life. I'm going to take control of my own financial
0: health. That's great. That's great. So you talk about the boomerang effect. You know, the kids are all right, but what about your retirement account? Maybe you could share with us a little bit about that. Well, one of the alarming trends we're
1: seeing right now, certainly uh, many of, I'm sure your listeners have heard about all the student loans and the amount of debt kids are getting into to get their college education. Well, there's another thing that's happening that is very alarming to me, and that is a lot of people my age or even younger are robbing their retirement accounts to pay for their children's education. And that really is a double-edged sword because – You can borrow for an education. You cannot borrow for your retirement. And so I really caution people to that are thinking about, I want my kid to go to this Ivy League school, and I'm going to borrow out of my retirement plan and send them there. You're robbing yourself, and you're also mortgaging your kid's future. Because if you can't take care of yourself in the future, it's going to fall back on your children. And so I really am – it's one, a very alarming trend that I see, and I want people to think about what they're doing with their retirement plans and make sure that they're not pulling money out of them to try and do something that's an instant gratification issue now. And if you're 20 and 30, if you you definitely need that higher education that still guarantees you higher income, um, and better opportunities, and certainly great education. But you can get it without necessarily making yourself so far in debt. So many young people are graduating with um, their doctorate or their, you know, they're getting advanced degrees in law, and they're they're graduating from college 100, 150 thousand dollars in debt, and that's a huge hole to try and dig out of. And so it's really important to understand as you go through life the decisions that you make. Make sure you're looking at all the alternatives. Look at potential opportunities for scholarship. Look at schools that may not be that fifty thousand dollar a year Ivy League school, but it could still a good, sound quality education. Before you allow yourself to get in a position where you are, you have a mountain of debt before you even start having the opportunity to earn a living.
0: That's oh, that's so true. And you know, and I've seen a lot of my clients, I've seen thousands of people, and when they get seventy and eighty. How really empty their their retirement has become, just because of what you you talked about, and that's so important. so what do you, what do you mean by pay your family first? Well, it's about understanding
1: that you are responsible for number one educating. You made the comment earlier is you know it's so important that we are not teaching our kids about money We're, and money is a life skill. it's something that we need to be teaching our kids. And we we as adults often say, I wish I'd known this 20 years ago. And so you can't wait for the education system to do it. You need to take control of your own home and your own children and young people that you care about and make sure that they are given the financial education they need to succeed. And look at your own family situation. How can you set your kids up to succeed? How can you take care of yourself? What happens is we start becoming so dependent on our employers and we start forgetting about things that we want in our life. We get that extra little money on the side and we blow it on a vacation or we get a little extra money on the side. And all of a sudden we mortgage our home and pull the money out so we can do something. And that's really not a very good financial move for you unless it's a, something that's going to generate revenue for you. So think about your own life and how you, the habits that you've established in spending and say, am I paying myself first? Am I looking at my balance sheet? Am I looking at the assets that I'm creating for my future? And make sure your asset column is your first priority. Most people go through life and never even think about their assets. They think about their liabilities. Well, what else can I buy? What else can I get? A new car, a new TV, new furniture. And along with that comes debt. And that's all bad debt. So you want to start thinking, am I, you know, I want to make sure if I get into debt, it's good debt. Good debt is something that's going to help me generate revenue or something like a rental property where people, your tenants are going to be paying off that debt. So start by looking at your debt with the eye that I need to start paying
0: myself first. Right, right. So it's obvious that and and you're involved in the President's Commission, the Advisory Council. That why financial education? Why is that so important?
1: Well, yes. I was appointed by President Bush back in 2008 for the very first President's Advisory Council. I served Bush and Obama um but since 2009 i've i have been, I've been the national spokesperson for the AICPA which is the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants on financial literacy and it's so important that we as a country if you look at what's happened in the last few years with the economy people don't know what to do they don't understand money um they're getting they're easily swayed by advertising so you people young people are growing up in a family where they're seeing their parents using their credit cards But they're not necessarily seeing them paying them off every month so they're getting this false sense of just charge it the mentality I call just charge it mentality and going to the ATM yeah you just put a card in and the the machine spits money out of you
0: Right. and so
1: that's what they're experiencing that's the real life knowledge that they're getting they need to see the complete picture they need to know that you can't get the money out of the machine unless you've got money in the bank and the way you get money in the bank is paying yourself or paying your family first. Right. So, what would you say is at stake? People. Oh, the future. The, fu- the future of your family is at stake. I right. um, you everyone on this call has a choice. You can be a master of your money, or you can be a slave to your money. And unfortunately, certainly in America, we have a whole lot of people who thought they were masters and have found out. They truly are slaves, and they're really they're they're trying to just make ends meet. They're barely making it, if at all, from paycheck to paycheck. And that means you're every ounce of every minute of your day you're thinking about money, and that is not a way to live. We need to get to the point where we are we are working so we can live,
0: not living to work. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So what would you say the solution? What would you what kind of steps would you give people to take?
1: Well the solution is right in your own wallet. You know we all want the government to solve it. We want, you know we we look at the national economy, the international economy. You and I can't control that, but we can control what's happening in our own wallet. Look at your own where your own money is going. Do you have more going out than it's coming in? That's a you know that's a, a recipe for disaster. You want to look and say, How, what am I doing with my time as well as what I'm doing with my money? Um, in my book, Three Feet from Gold, we created a, something called your personal success equation. And it really, it's, it's a pretty simple equation. I'm a CPA, so I go into numbers, but this, this is all words. And it's really taking your passion and combining it with your talent. Now, you're, you, we've all heard, do what you love, love what you do. Well, my passion, financial education, it really came out of anger. I was mad because my son got into credit card debt. I was mad. I thought I had taught him about money, but I hadn't taught him both sides. He saw me when I used my credit cards, not when I paid them off. And so that was 20 years ago when I dedicated my professional career to financial education. And I'm as dedicated about it today as I was then. But the problem is um, you take your passion, you combine with your talent, people think, well, that's all I need to do. I just need to do what I love and and I'm going to be successful. But the world of business and the world today, you need other people. And so that, that personal success equation is taking your passion, combining it with your talent, and then finding the right associations, surrounding yourself with the right people, looking for networks that can support you on what you're trying to do. Um, if, you're, if you are stalled and you feel in a stalemate in your life, then just go to a new group. Go to a new networking group. Hey, branch out a little bit. Learn something new. And then take good action. So again, passion, talent, finding the right associations, and then taking action is very important. And so if you do all of those things, you'd think that's a success equation. But when we actually were starting to go to print, I realized that the really, truly successful people had something else. And so you add it to that equation. Passion plus talent, finding the right association, taking the right action, but also having absolute faith in yourself and what you're doing. It's that faith in yourself, your family, and your, and your desire to succeed that helps get you through the tough times. You know, the, the hardcore reality is if you're spending more than you're bringing in every month, you have to control yourself. You have to say, what can I change? How can I minimize my expenses? How can I reduce my expenses? Then, how can I increase my income? You people say, I, you know, live below your means. Well, you, if you want to live below your means, that's fabulous. But you also have the opportunity to expand your means by looking at how can I start a business on the side? How can I earn more money? And so that's those are the two answers. You either reduce your expenses or increase your income. But doing either will give you power. It will give you the first step is always the hardest but once you make that
0: first step, you're going to get the motivation to take the next step. Right. Right. So, you know, I, from reading who, who took my money, it appears that another bubble is getting ready to burst, and there's a lot of money groups saying, you know, next year or a few months or 2016. And many of the baby boomers in 2016 will be pulling the retirement money out. So what impact is this going to have on the economy, and why don't people take this seriously?
1: Well, pr- primarily because right now the government tends to take care of everybody. And, you know, they need to take it seriously because we've got a government that has 16 trillion dollars in debt and it's growing faster every day. And right. so, you know, it, we are, we talk about, you hear terms like fiscal cliff. Well, the problem is, you think, you need to think about what it impacts at your family level. You know, the most successful businesses do one of two things. They solve a problem or serve a need. Well, we certainly have enough problems and enough needs today that if you're industrious enough, you have the motivation, you could create a business and start making more money. And it's what got us out of the Great Depression was free enterprise and entrepreneurship. It's what this country is based on. This country was founded on free people, free speech, free markets, and free enterprise. And right now, all of those are jeopardized by what's happening in the, in the in the economy and in the government. And we as a country, when we were in the Great Depression, when we got back to free enterprise and free markets, we were able to get out of the Great Depression. It's that supporting the small business owner, that's where the job creation becomes. And so that's what we need to do again now. We need to start encouraging business ownership. As small business owners open their businesses, they start hiring people. And that's where we come to the point where we can start creating jobs and get our economy working again, as opposed to begging. Right now, we have an economy that's begging. We need an economy
0: that's working. Right. Right. Tell us a little bit about Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. That's really fascinating. How you got involved with his unreleased sequel.
1: Well, Napoleon Riches. I'm sure Rich. Hello, Napoleon Hill wrote Think and Grow Rich. Um, and um, many of your listeners probably are aware of it. But he, he was charged with doing a research, spending his life researching the elements of success by Andrew Carnegie back in 1908. At the time, Andrew Carnegie was the richest man in the world. And he, to a young Napoleon Hill, he says, I want you, I'm going to open the door. I'm going to introduce you to all my rich friends. And I want you to, I think there's a common element that we all share on how we get successful. And so for over 25 years, Napoleon Hill dedicated his life for no pay, but he was able to talk to all the rich people and he talked to thousands of people that consider themselves failures. And as a result of his life's work, he wrote, um, The Laws of Success, which became Think and Grow Rich, which was published in 1937. And it was, and the reason that book is so powerful, over 100 million copies have been sold around the world. And the reason it's so powerful, is that it's not one man's philosophy. It's not one woman's philosophy. It is the, like the term paper of success. It is the thesis of the elements of success on how you can create great success in your life. And so what we want to do is understand that that is where the power of that book comes. 1937 it came out and it really helped many of the today's successful businesses get started and focus and it's just as applicable today. But what happened was in 1938, right after the book came out, Napoleon Hill himself was frustrated because he said, even though people know what they should do, they still don't do it. Right. And I'm sure yeah. that might hit home a little bit to some of your listeners. It does yeah. to me. You know, we know what we're supposed to do, but somehow we don't do it. Procrastination, laziness, whatever it is. And so he sat down and he wrote a sequel to Think and Grow Rich called Outwitting the Devil. And it talked talks about the self-limiting beliefs, fear, the fear of criticism, fear of loss, fear of poverty, fear of ill health. And he goes right into the heart of the matter and he does it in a parable where he interrogates the devil. For those of your listeners who um, may be familiar with the movie A Few Good Men, I I think of him being on, uh, Jack Nicholson being on the witness stand. You can't handle the truth. Well, that's the vision I have when I'm reading Outwitting the Devil. And so the devil has to tell the truth on how he gets in our lives. And Napoleon Hill in the book, Outwitting the Devil, says, you the reader, it's up to you to determine if you think I'm talking to the real devil or an imaginary devil. It doesn't really matter as long as you get some benefit from what I share. And the, the incredible power of that book is that, again, it was written right after the Thinking and Grow Rich. It was intended to be the sequel, but the title alone scared Napoleon Hill's wife to death. So the book got locked away for seventy five years. And I and I actually think there was a greater power at work because had it come out then it may have stunted the explosion of Think and Grow Rich. And now not only is Think and Grow Rich powerful today, but I think our society today needs that extra kick in the pants about waking up and looking in the mirror and realizing that fear is what's killing us in our society, in our economy fear and greed and so outweighing the devil helps you look at yourself in the mirror and say how am i holding myself back what can i do to get past it and it is a life-changing work again intended to be the sequel to think and grow rich just released last year i had the honor napoleon hill foundation and i have been working together for years i left the rich dead organization in 2007 and they called me and said sharon we uh we want to work with you and so we our my first book was with Greg Reed called 3 feet from gold which is where that you can find that personal success equation and then as we were releasing and printing just about the month we released 3 feet from gold I got a call from Don Green who's the CEO of the Napoleon Hill Foundation and he said Sharon we I need your help I've got this manuscript I'm not quite sure what to do with it well, you look at it, and they sent it to me. And I was probably only the fourth or fifth person to ever read it. Again, wow. in 1938, it was typed on a manual typewriter. So I had this tall stack of pieces of paper that had been handwritten. He made handwritten notes on it, and wow. I get it. And it's like I'm holding this hot potato called outwitting. I said, "Oh, I don't know. This is pretty negative. I'm not, you know, outwitting the devil. Whew, this might be kind of, you know, testy." Then I read it in one night. And an incredible sense of calm came over me because it truly was absolutely life-changing for me, and it's been life-changing for everybody that's read it, because it really gets to the heart of the matter, where we as a society need to start taking personal responsibility and creating value. You You think about it. Every night when I went to bed, my father would say, Sharon, have you added value to the world today?
0: Wow, that's beautiful. and if all of us could
1: start thinking about that every day, are we taking or are we giving? Are we adding value to the world or
0: not? That's beautiful. That's really inspiring. So, what would you you know, it's hard to boil it down, a book, but if the if you would take like three main points from that book, or what's the essence that you could share with everybody about that?
1: Well, there's one area where he talks about um, drifters. And you know, in his in his terminology, you're either a drifter or a non-drifter. And a drifter is somebody who kind of goes with the flow, is easily manipulated, um, doesn't really have a definite purpose, doesn't really have a goal, kind of just gets easily swayed. And the devil says, you know, that's the person I love. I just, you know, I clap my hands because I can just just get them to go in all kinds of different directions, and I can wreak havoc in their life. And then he compares the non-drifters, somebody that very few people of us are truly non-drifters, and that's where you have a definite goal, you have a plan, you know what you want in your life, and you're driving and striving for that goal, and yes, sometimes we get off course, but we always know how to correct. You know, and in this book, The Devil Reveals, you know, somebody that really knows what they're doing and where they're going, I don't really waste my time because I have so much fun with the drifters. And so you think about the ter- periods in your own life when maybe, oh, yeah, that was me. I was a drifter. And then you think about the periods when you're driven and, you, and you're and you a non-drifter and how much more you succeed and how much more you accomplish. And then he talks about the ways that you could – seven steps you can take to outwit the devil in your life. And the first one is truly having that goal, having that of purpose. And the next one is thinking about adversity. How do you deal with it? Do you look at adversity as a learning opportunity? Don't let a failure or a mistake define you. Look at it and say, okay, what am I supposed to learn so I don't do it again? And then talk about how you're spending your time, just as important as how you're spending your money. How are you spending your time? Are you allowing your time to be loafing, couch potato um wasting away your time watching T V or are you using time to drive yourself forward and to accomplish things in your life? And then your environment. Who are you hanging out with? What is your environment? Nine times out of ten when somebody's stuck, I say, what have you been doing? Who have you been hanging out with? Right. If you look you know, we often say if you look at the five people you hang out with the most, that's they're gonna be that's your future. And so if you want something different, change your environment. Now, some of us can't fire our family. We can't change our family. But we can limit the time we're with our family. We can limit them. If they're not propelling you forward, if they're not there supporting you, find people who will. That mastermind concept, which was also created by Napoleon Hill, that may, creating a group of people who bring value to what you want to do and are there to cheerlead you and to help you succeed. Don't, success is not about a lone ranger. Success is a team effort. And so allow yourself to surround yourself with people who support you and want you to succeed. And that environment will help speed you to your success. And he talked about if you do all those things, if you do the, you know, learn how to have your goal, learn with adversity, understand how you're spending your time, um, how you, who you're hanging out with, then you become harmonic, almost like a, a habit. You form a new habit. All those things working together, then it becomes like, oh, my goodness, success becomes easier because you've established positive habits. And that's when magic really starts happening in your life. And then he talks about having a little caution in your life. Make sure when you are going to do something, when you're going to make a phone call, send a fax, send a text. Is what you're going to do going to help you towards your goal or is it going to help the recipient towards their goal? And if the answer is yes, by all means, do it. However, if you're just trying to vent, let off some steam, that's negative energy. Let go of it. Don't send the text. Don't send the email. Don't send the, you know, the, the, make the phone call if you're not moving in a positive direction.
0: Right. Absolutely. Boy, those are beautiful steps. Very, very nice. Well, you know, young people, a lot of people are in debt right now and it's really difficult to start a business. So what can young people do to get rid of their limiting beliefs when it comes to their finances? Well, the
1: the first one is we're you know, the instead of having thinking we're in a world of abundance, most people think they're in a world of um, scarcity.
0: Right.
1: So that's the first step. The first step is to start changing your, and that's where outwitting the double is so powerful because it helps you look at how you grew up, and your educational training, your religious training. You know, if you, if you were, if you learned through an element, and environment of fear, it impacts you for the rest of your life until you look at it. Once you look at it and see it, you can get rid of it. And so, money becomes an issue because people are they're afraid they can't make enough. Once they make enough, they're afraid they can't keep it, then they're afraid they're going to lose it. And so you're surrounding the element of money, the subject of money, with nothing but fear. And so it's something that really is important for people to look at as to how they, what is your philosophy of money? And I ask people to sit down and say, write down what your parents said about money. Did they say money doesn't grow on trees? Um, you know, we can't afford it. It's too expensive. All of those messages are negative, and if you heard those a lot as a kid, then you've got a predisposition of fear and negativity when it comes to money, and it's probably impacting your level of success today. Now, had your parents said, you know, you can be anything you want to be, you've got the opportunity, Um, you can expand your horizon... Um, if you you know we may not be able to buy it today, but how can we afford it? That triggers thought process. It triggers entrepreneurship. It triggers a positive reaction towards money. And so I just tell everybody, think back, take a moment and think about your own thought process about money. And what happens is people start realizing, wow, I do. I do think of, you know, I'm saying I believe in a world of abundance, but inside, my fear is dictating a world of scarcity.
0: Right. Right. Think abundance. Right. So what can entrepreneurs do to be smarter about their personal finances while balancing, running your own business, bootstrapping, the whole works? Well, paying attention is the first thing.
1: Um, you know, I talk to people all the time that they want to start their own business, but they have no cash reserve built up. And so I say, you know, don't don't quit your day job. <laughs> don't quit your day job until you have a small business set up and and generating some revenue. Because that then you just add more stress. Um, you know, the number one reason small businesses fail is a lack of capital, lack of money. And so it's really important that you look and say, how can I build this with Uh, other people's money, other people's resources, other people's time? How can I surround myself with people that want me to succeed and be able to keep moving forward? Entrepreneurs are problem solvers. They go, instead of saying, why, why should I do this? They ask themselves, why not? Mm -hmm. And so that you think about your own life and say, okay, I'm a business person. What happens is people get themselves bogged down in the day-to-day, having to deal with issues, and they take their vision off the future. And that's when small businesses start to stall. Mm-hmm. So think, think about how you're spending your time as, a, as the entrepreneur. If you're spending your time on dealing with day, day-to-day stuff or stuff in the past, then you're no longer got your foot on the accelerator for the future. And you're going to see that in the bottom line.
0: Right, right. Boy, this is great. So, maybe you could drill down a little bit and talk about the personal success equation and what that really means.
1: Well, and that's, you know, I shared that at the beginning of our conversation, and for me, as it relates to my personal life, you know, my passion um, is really that of a parent and concern that I thought I had prepared my children well, and then I hadn't. Mm -hmm. And so, my passion comes from that, the anger that we're not teaching our kids about money. And then my talent was my background. I'm a CPA. I have been a CPA for 35 years, but also my talent in the publishing world, my background in publishing, I was able to combine those talents with my passion as a parent and start creating materials and writing books about financial literacy and financial education. But I couldn't do it alone. I had to find the right associations. And so my associations were publishers and media partners and people who liked what we wrote and came back to us and said, we want to share it. Finding the right associations for people when we wanted to go into a coaching business, we find the right company that does that so that we could partner with them. So think about your own how can you team up with a strategic partner to get to where you want to go rather than building it yourself. And then of course taking definitive action. You know, every day I have a rule, it's a two 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 rule. It used to be, and tell you how old I am, it used to be two faxes, two handwritten letters, two phone <laughs> calls. Well today Two phone calls, two emails, and usually two handwritten notes. So again, reaching out for the future of my business because it's only you know the future of your business is entirely up to you, and so you need to continue focusing on the on the future as well as dealing with what's happening today and yesterday, and so that's the action part of it. so your passion, your talent finding the right associations, taking the right action, and then, of course, the faith. And sometimes we waver in our faith. You know, we have a, a, a misstep. We have a shipment of goods that are defective, or we have a, a big customer who decides to go elsewhere, or we have something happen to one of our employees and they quit or you have to fire them. And so that faith gets shaken. But that's, you know, for a true entrepreneur and a true business owner that's going to become successful, you have to have that faith that gets you through the dark times. They're going to happen, but you have to have the, the, the motivation to succeed and the faith in what you are doing and the business that you've created that it will succeed. And so that's the personal success equation. And you can do it in a small scale or a big scale, but every successful person has those elements in their success.
0: Right. Absolute faith. I really like that. And it's true. So much has been said about spending out of their way out of the current recession, and a great deal of spending is done on credit cards with five- and six-figures balance. Is it a prudent economic policies when Americans are as deep in debt as their country? Absolutely not. Right. You know, at the end of the day, you
1: have, if you're in debt, you need to look at your debt and say, is this good debt or bad debt? And, um, you know, the philosophy is, well, everybody else is in debt, so I might as well join the circus. Or, you know, everybody else, you know, saving is for losers. Some people say saving money is for losers because of the fact that we don't have any inflation and you're getting no interest on it. The issue is what's your habit? Is your habit saving, investing in yourself, or is your habit in, in charging at all costs and digging a deeper and deeper hole? And everyone can answer that question. And if you can answer the question that you are you're going to prepare for yourself, you're going to save, you're going to build a future for yourself, then you're on the right side of the equation. If you are the one out there getting further and further in debt by choice, you're part of the problem. And it's a matter of waking up and saying, Okay, I have to take responsibility for my own future. I have to be accountable for the decisions that I'm making. Because at the end of the day, every choice you make either drives you towards success or dives you into debt. And it's not just your choice around money, it's a choice on how you spend your time. Every choice you make. And so if you are not happy with where you are right now,
0: make different choices. Right. You know, it seems so obvious but it's so simple, but it's not you know it's, um, you know we have a lot of women on this call, and I wanted to ask you what what you think are the three money mistakes that women usually make <laughs>
1: well this is this is my other area of passion a few okay. years ago, about four or five years ago, I had a I was blessed enough to have a friend give me a birthday party and um I asked the women around the table, I said, how many of you sign your tax returns without knowing what's in in them? And all but one of them raised their hands. So my number one bugaboo is women tend to let their husbands or the men in their lives run the money. And I, I say, please know. I mean, it's one thing if you let them write the checks, but it's really important for you to know what you have in your financial life. And you need to be in charge. You need to know the decisions that are being made. You need to play a role. And that's my number one concern for women. Now, the number two thing is that women are truly the answer to our economy today. Two out of every three new businesses are being started by women. Women going into the workforce after World War II is what helped us get out of the Great Depression. Right now, today, women are the answer because the future of business is one of collaboration and cooperation, not one of competition. And so women are naturally better collaborators and cooperative beings than men. Women have an opportunity to truly take the bull by the horn and succeed. And it's time that we all say, okay, how can I add value to the world? It comes back to are you adding value
0: to the world or are you taking value from the world? Right. Exactly. Beautiful. So um, a recent survey. Found that over 40% of adults still give themselves a grade of CDF on their personal finance. And it's time to pay more attention. You know, you've really made it a passion to educate and teach. And if you, if you were, go, say, to go to a school and you only had, you know, half an hour to talk to people, what, what would be the main thing you would be telling them? To young people or to adults? To young people. Young people.
1: Well, the first question I ask them, do you guys like money? Of course, they say yes. Um, do you want more money? Of course, they say yes. And I go, so do you want to be a master of your money or a slave? And they go, of course, they want to be masters. And then my next question is, so do you understand that you're in the driver's seat of your own life? And they, they look around and I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, so if you're in the driver's seat of your own life, are you going to be a master or a slave? And they go, master. And I said, so the next time you're shopping and you want to buy that new top or those new pair of jeans, think about what you're doing. Are you spending money that you should be spending? Are you truly making wise decisions? Because every decision you make with how you spend your money or how you spend your time drives you to success or dives you into debt. And it's completely up to you where you end up. It has nothing to do with your parents. It has nothing to do with your friends. It's what you choose to do. And if you choose to go the way of spending a lot of money that you don't have, you're choosing to become a slave.
0: Right. Exactly. Okay, so then what would you tell the adults?
1: The adults are very simple. Look at where you are today. Are you happy with where you are financially? If so, great. What more can you do to add value to the world? If you are unhappy with where you are today, acknowledge it and say, what can I do? One of two things. I can reduce expenses or I can increase income or both. And first, start looking at your debt. List out all your debt. Label your debt. Is this good debt or bad debt? Just the knowledge of what you have is powerful. If you say, if you start realizing that you've got these four credit cards and one of them you're paying at 22%, pay attention to that one first. Get rid of the card that is costing you the most money. It's so important that people, you know, people want someone else to solve it. They want the white knight. And today,
0: the white knight is in the mirror. Amen. That's right. Absolutely. Okay. Now, what would you have the parents teach their children, their kids, about money? Well, the first thing is you need to start talking to your kids about
1: money. You know, kids um, are very astute, and they their experience in life is what they see. So what they see on billboards is how to spend money. What they see when they're in a store with you is how to spend money at the checkout counter. Look at all the candy, all that stuff. It's right there. Buy, buy, buy. And so they are inundated with messages of spend, 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 um, you know, Mom, I want this. I want that. I want this. And that's natural. So you have to, as a parent, have to say, okay, so along the way, we need to have conversations about we're in McDonald's. You know, John or or Julie, this hamburger wrapper is made by a company that uh, isn't McDonald's. And the straws come from another company. And, you know, the owner of this McDonald's isn't here. They just own it. They're a business owner. It's run by high school students. Just starting to open up with them about the world of money. On my website, SharonLector.com, I have um, a, for free download 30 ways to start talking to your kids about money. Um, it's not rocket science. It's just a matter of starting to educate them about the value of money. They know what the buying power is of money, but they don't understand the earning power to get that amount of money. And so um, we developed, a for high school students, a game called Thrive Time for Teens, and it's won all kinds of national awards, but the greatest award I have is when I see young people play it, and they're, the lights turn on. It's got a lot of humor, they have a lot of fun, and they win the game by getting to the thrive spot, and every decision they make either takes them up the board or down, and they start realizing that they truly are the ones in the driver's seat of their own life. And so the, the bottom line is they realize, they go, why aren't they teaching me this in school? This is what I want to learn. I want to learn this stuff. It's so important that we start talking about re- the reality of money. If you have kids that are over the age of eight, I can guarantee you they know what's been happening in the economy. If it hasn't happened in your house, some of their friends, their parents have lost their jobs. They've lost their homes. You know, there's a tremendous amount of financial stress out there. And if you're trying to protect your kids, you're probably doing them a disservice. Let them know that you are stable or let them know that you're doing these steps to become stable. And all of a sudden, they're going to want to participate because they're going to feel respected. They're going to feel like part of the family. And all of a sudden, their bedroom... Lights aren't going to be on all the time anymore. They're going to think of ways to help you save money. Kids are hugely creative. Just allow them to participate and give them the respect of understanding that we are all in this together and we need to
0: start learning how we pay our family first. Right. You know, you, that's really great. This is really want to get this out to lots of people. You have a figure in your book, Magic Money, OPM. You know, 1.9, and I understand OPM means other people's money, but what does 1.9 mean? Well, again, you, uh, uh, one I like even better
1: is 1 plus 1 equals 11.
0: Okay.
1: Is when you take your expertise and you combine it with somebody else's expertise, you're bringing the power of both of you and then the power of working together. And so you can grow exponentially by doing it as a team sport. And you're using somebody else's money or you're using somebody else's time, you're using somebody else's resources. But at the end of the day, it's a benefit to both of you. And that's where you end up having the ability to exponentially grow your own wealth
0: and your own success as well as growing theirs. Great. And so um, you were talking in, in, in your book, too, about the power of phantom money as it relates to the depreciation of real estate. In fact, you call it magic money. Maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit.
1: Certainly when you invest in real estate, there's several benefits that you get. One is typically when you invest in real estate, your ability to you put down 20%, let's say, in the bank unless you borrow 80%. Well, you still own 100% of that asset, so you're leveraging that asset, and that's what we call good debt. As long as your tenant's income, the rent that you receive, covers that debt each month, that's good debt because they're helping you pay down that mortgage. And so that's really the greatest benefit of real estate is that you've got the, you're providing housing for people who need it, they are paying your rent, you are paying off your mortgage, and at the end of the day, you own 100% of that house. But the bonus that you get from the IRS, believe it or not, the, the IRS has created the opportunity for you to take depreciation. And depreciation is what we call a paper loss or a phantom deduction. And so that house, let's say it's a $100,000 house. So you can depreciate that house over 28 years, and you can take a piece of that each year against your income. And so you may – let's say you have a $2,000 depreciation deduction each year. You can offset your rental income by that amount, and so that amount would be considered um, non tax-free. And so as you can continue growing your real estate business, the tax law, depending on your different income thresholds, and you need your own tax accountant to look at it, um if you if your adjusted gross income isn't too high, you have the ability to offset up to twenty five thousand dollars of other taxable income with those losses. And so again, you all there are elements that you have to satisfy, certain procedures is great. The best thing is to have a tax accountant help you and help qualify what you're doing, but it's a, it helps you speed your way to success by having the ability to have this phantom loss or this magic money.
0: So if they went to their CPA, would the, would they know it by the name phantom money, or what would they ask that their CPA? Oh, yeah, had...
1: it's, real, it's called real estate investing, the benefits of real estate investing, depreciation.
0: Okay. All right, and then you were talking in your book that um, – between the DB plans versus the DC plans, what does that mean?
1: Well, huge difference. Today, when we originally wrote the book, um, we were in the midst of many, many companies. Uh, my parents' generation had defined benefit pension plans. So you work for a company for twenty-five years, and you graduate, you retire, and you get a gold watch, and you get you know five thousand dollars a month for the rest of your life for as long as you uh-huh. live. And it's up to the company to find out, you know, come up with that money through their, through their pension plan. That was called a defined benefit plan. And there are still, there are still some companies out there that have them. But over the last 15 years, the, the laws have changed and most companies have moved to something called a defined contribution plan. You can think of it as your 401k. The defined contribution plan means that your retirement is really up to you. You need to start setting aside part of your earnings. And many companies agree to match that. So you consider, you've heard 401k matches, um, employee retirement matches. That's where the, the, your employers are saying, if you put away 4% of your income, we'll match it 100%, we'll match it 50%, you know, anything could be 6% of your income. There's a, so the law allows them to create a defined contribution plan and so the issue is that there's a shift away from that because if you retire with a defined benefit plan, you know you're going to have X dollars every month for the rest of your life. If you retire with a defined contribution plan, you're only going to get what you put aside and what the employer put aside over the rest, over that period of time. And so therefore the onus, the responsibility for your retirement has shifted from the employer to the employee and that's the most dramatic change in the economic world of 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 employers and employees
0: right so how much would you recommend people putting away as they're working every day? as much as you can the more
1: you can put away the more that's working for you and what you know the the, the tax law certainly You want to maximize your employer's match because if you don't put it away, they're not going to match it. So if they don't match it, you're losing free money. And yes, it may not be making a lot of money in the retirement plan, but you're getting that match from your employer. So that's kind of like a raise. So you put some away for yourself; they match it. That's free money to you. So it gets put goes into your retirement plan. And it's a tax deduction. Whatever you put away is a tax deduction. So it offsets your your taxable income. Now when you pull that money out after you retire, it will be taxable to you at that point in time. But obviously you want the more you can put away, the better off you will be. And so you need to look at your own financial situation. If you're not saving for retirement, you need to take a real hard, cold look at what your expenses are and say, how can I adjust what I'm doing, how I'm living, so I can start putting money
0: away. Okay, so what would you tell, and I, I have this question a lot, of people are upside down in their houses. They're, they don't, can't find a job, or at least they don't think they can find a job. What would you recommend to people that are really in a negative mindset about what's happening in their life?
1: Well, they, you know, but
0: that's—I
1: mean, this is going to sound self-serving, but read "Outwitting the Devil" because it will help you blast yourself out of that negativity. Um, "Outwitting the Devil" really helped me. You know, I think the first thing you have to do is understand this is where I am. Acknowledge it. Um, A lot of people are angry, they're feeling disenfranchised, they've they've been downsized, right-sized, outside, and they're mad. And they have a right to be mad. The issue is that doesn't help them. Certainly, if they kind of have that disposition, it's not going to help them find a new job. And so the first thing is to say, okay, this is where I am. There are a lot of other people with me. What am I going to do? What's going to help me take a positive step? Okay, join a new group. Go to a free networking group. Go to a free class somewhere. Think about your skills. Again, go back to that personal success equation and say, what can I do? Do I have a hobby that I can turn into a business? What can I do to add value to the world? Where can I go and volunteer my time where I might meet other people that might be able to employ me?
0: Take positive steps to change your life. Great.
1: Great. Well...
0: This has really, really been an honor. You, you're just a, a fountain of great information. Maybe um, we have a few more minutes left if you've just given us so much and maybe you could just put a little cherry on top and also you could share with everybody what you're working on now and what your projects are. Well, thank you. Yes, I am um, I'm just about to
1: release another book in January of next year on Um, I have, it's kind of like chicken soup for the souls as it relates to financial literacy. I have, um, this happens to be the 125th anniversary of the AICPA, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. And they usually, as a trade association, they usually, you know, issue things for each other to learn and understand the profession. But in celebration of his 125th year, which is pretty old, um, they wanted to do something for the consumer and certainly give them the economy. So we pulled together, and I've got over 125 CPAs who've contributed articles and stories about all kinds of topics related to you know, your first car, your first house, retirement, financial planning, um, marriage, divorce. Every topic you can imagine, understanding um, estate planning, understanding all those elements of how to teach your kids about money, teach young kids, how do you teach teens about money, how do you pay for college. And so I'm really excited about it. It's going to be out in January. It's, going to, it's called Save Wisely, Spend Happily. And so the, in the essence is if you save wisely, you will be able to spend happily. And the elements of, of real life stories of things that people have done to turn their lives around in a positive way. And so that's something that I'm very excited about. That's going to be out in January. And then as I mentioned, our Thrive Time for Teens game, we now are going into high schools all over the place with a program teaching these young kids. We reach, um, you know, thousands of kids. And so we're very much turning the heat up on that to get it into as many high schools as we can to reach as many young people as we can to, with the elements of financial education because Once you give someone the gift of financial education, it's the gift of a lifetime. And I'm also speaking at lots of women's events. I have a product called Money for Women by Women. And it's 20 bucks on my website. It's, uh, it really is, I've pulled together my female friends, one's a divorce attorney, one's a financial planner, one's an estate attorney, one's a banker, to talk about what they see women doing right and what they see women doing wrong. And so it, it just in a, in a two-hour time frame, you can learn so much about things that you're doing that are correct in your life and maybe a few things that you can just do a small tweak and put yourself in a much better position to succeed. And all of those can be found at SharonLechter.com.
0: That's exciting. Boy, your new book sounds great, perfect for the economy right now. I'm very really? excited
1: about it. Very excited. Yeah. I'm, also, I'm actually also in the throes of ending um, creating uh, finishing a college curriculum. So I'm very excited about that. I would oh, love wow. to see that get into colleges all over the place.
0: So That sounds amazing. And so your new book is Save Wisely, Spend Happily. Yes, ma'am. Beautiful. Beautiful. Wow. I'm I'm curious. This just my own question of of your marketing behind Rich Dad and the series that made it fly off the shelf. This, it, you have something that's so unique beside your great content. What was it that happened there? Well, it comes back to the success equation I just shared with you that is in three feet from gold. It's
1: what I have lived on my life. I'm not a success equation is the power of association. You know, we wrote the book. It was really originally written to be a brochure for a board game cash flow that we created, and we never knew. We never intended it to become a. You know, a Seven-year New York Times bestseller, but it it took a life of its own because of the value that people found in it, and then they shared it with everybody they knew. It truly was an, a classic example of viral, the success of viral marketing before social media. And so we, you know, a whole entire organization's that they, they would read it, find it, and spread it throughout the organization,
0: and that's really what
1: made it explode around the world.
0: That's a, great. So if people want to reach out to you and um, connect with you, uh, do you have a, a contact you'd like to share? Absolutely. Sharonlector.com
1: or you can reach me, Sharon at Sharonlector.com uh, is my email and um, I welcome everybody to visit it. We've got lots of free tools that you can download and would love to to hear from everyone and and
0: congratulate you for putting this together and for providing valuable content to all your listeners. Thank you so much, Sharon. It's really, really been a pleasure and an honor to be able to speak to you. And I really look forward to having you a guest again on my show because it's going to be a series and because you have so much to share with everybody. So thank you very much.
2: Out, you can't take the curve at 85. My whole life flashed before my eyes. I braced myself to leave this world behind. As a million questions raced across my mind Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I save any soul? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day with faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? Did, did, did I matter? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I save any soul? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? Did, did, did I matter?